Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Every day, at least 22 U.S. veterans commit suicide. That they had a, a gun under their pillow. Too many of our troops and veterans are still struggling. The outer shell of him came back. They're recovering from injuries. They're trying to reconnect with family and friends who can never fully understand what they went through. But everything on the inside was dead. I thought that because I couldn't be a soldier anymore, that's, that's all I had to offer this world. And so I was just, you know, like drinking all the time and fighting and in jail. It's one of the things that I hear the most about when I go around and talk to the veterans. You see veterans in the news or on social media, nine times out of ten, it's, a, it's, it's something about PTSD or suicide, and we're more than that, and we're more than that, and we're more than that. All right, that intro right there is kind of how the news media typically handles the subject of suicide. And uh, we're going to take a different approach with this podcast. More than just awareness, we're going to talk about actual strategies, things you need to know, things you can actually do if your loved one is dealing with some mental health issues. And we're going to get it from people that actually have been there. Two of our guests have been personally affected in their own families by suicide. And one of them is a clinical social worker. The truth, the unfiltered, no bull look at how we can deal with suicide and what we can do to help make it better. All right, let's get started. Our first guest really helped me put this into perspective. And around the office and having some conversations around the coffee pot and the water cooler, I discovered a very young VA reporter, Jonathan Copanger, who's joined me here in the studio. What's going on, man? Hey, doing good. How about you? Uh, all right, man. I learned from you a surprising fact, and that is that you've dealt firsthand with this, and while it may have not been veteran-oriented, it's suicide nonetheless, man. It was my brother. He was my older brother. He was a year and a half older than me, and in 1993, he killed himself. Hmm. Let me bring everybody up to speed. When we first were talking about this, that fact right there you shared with me, mm-hmm. you know, that's the jaw dropper. Right. That's the thing that makes people kind of go, holy shit. You immediately followed that up with me and said, and 20 years of therapy, and I can actually talk to you about this. Yeah. <laughs> it took a lot, but I want you to just share with me, did you know that was coming? Did you know he was fighting depression? Were there signs? Were there... Yes, there were, but you know, a lot of it, if you look at things in hindsight, you could see a lot more than when you're actually in the middle of it. Um, to kind of bring you up to when it happened, just before it did, um, my brother was not the nicest person in the world. And a lot of it was mental illness. And like you look back at it now, he was extremely shy. He was the most shy person I've ever met in my life. Mm. He would not be able to talk to you. He would hit me in the back to make me talk for him. He couldn't talk to somebody. He just, he just oh. couldn't do it. And so the way he dealt with this was he uh, did a lot of drugs. He did, drank a lot of alcohol and just made really bad decisions. But he never got help. And the last time that I saw him, he was trying to blackmail me 
to get to give him some money. He, um, long story short, he had my dog, and um, I had to fly from Italy to uh, Utah to get my dog from him, and he was living under a house, literally under a house. There was a mattress under a house, and that's where my brother was living. Wow. And that was the last time I saw him. Mm. So you knew mental illness was involved. Had the family tried? Had there been, I mean, attempts to address the mental illness that was there? Not really. Um, we had a very religious family. My mom was a Pentecostal preacher. And um, I, I, I'm not, I don't mean this in any I dig towards anybody who's religious, but their answer was to pray for everything. Okay. And while I completely agree, pray. If you, if you feel you need to pray, pray. But then use other forms to help as well. And that was the missing part. But my parents knew uh, the phone would ring late at night. They were expecting the police to, to say, you know, he was dead. Yeah. Um, so we lived with this for several years. Um, it was just, it got worse and worse and worse. And when he finally killed himself, he chose my mother's birthday, which was also his daughter's birthday, to do it on. Oh, my gosh. So there was just so much pain inside of him. Right. And um, it came out in such horrible ways. And when you're right there in the middle of it, all you see is the ugliness, and, the, and it's really hard to pull yourself out of it. Can't tell you how much it means that you're going to share this with me on this podcast. I do it by design mm -hmm. because I want people hearing this podcast, I want those of us that are veterans to feel that we doing this, yeah. get it. Yeah. We get you. Absolutely. We get how important this is to you, and some of us have dealt firsthand with this. Mm -hmm. Now, with your experience— if you were to have a veteran in your life or you were to have somebody that saw some combat that is now dealing with some things, mm -hmm. what, what would you do to open that conversation? Is it appropriate to just go right to the elephant in the room and say, hey, man, I noticed you're kind of manic lately. You're up, mm -hmm. you're down, you're, some things are setting you off. Do you need to talk, bro? Do you want to, like, can I address it with my family member and say, I'm here for you. I love you, man. Let's just talk about this crap you're going through. You can, but I would suggest just from personal experience to get some professional help yourself first. Know what you're going to talk about. Because again, you, if you're that close to somebody, there's, you have the emotions inside and you can't separate that. There's no way you could see through those emotions, especially if somebody is talking about or threatening to kill themselves. That just, it, it takes a whole different part of your soul and, and you can't do anything with it. You just, there's nothing you could do. But if you have answers lined up, ready to go. If the person says, yes, I want help, you need to be able to pull them aside and take them to get help right that second. You can't wait because their mind is going a million miles an hour and it's going to change. What indicators am I looking for in my loved one? You know, I could just say what, what my brother had. And again, it was um, the way he treated his family, it, it just got worse. He became more and more withdrawn, which was kind of hard to imagine it would, he could ever do that. Um, he just stopped caring and he loved his daughter. He, my niece is, she's this beautiful woman now, but she was just incredibly smart, bright, brilliant little girl. And there just became this time where he just stopped. He just stopped caring. Mm. And, and I, I, again, it took a lot of therapy and it wasn't until uh, 2010 that I could actually get to the point where I could talk about this and forgive him. And that's what we beat our heads against instead of figuring out ways to help him find help or even just help him to think about getting help. None of us did it. So you need professional help. But once you get that, 
we are as loved ones capable yes. of helping bring back into the light the family member that's withdrawn right. with the proper plan and the proper support tools. Yep, absolutely. All right, there. See, now I'm starting to do it again. The thing I didn't want to do with this podcast is just talk about tools and plan, yeah. and, and and I'm not giving specifics. And I want, like hell, people to get some specific help out of this. Uh-huh. Um, you've told me before, off topic, yeah, about something that you've done that actually helps you fall asleep, yeah. and it's something you got along your journey. I learned from a shrink. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a tool I could use to lower anxiety and relax and help me fall asleep, and I love this. Oh, for me, this is something because I've always had problems sleeping. Not anymore. It drives my husband crazy. I could shoot a double shot of espresso and go right to sleep. I'm good at this now. A long, long time ago, back in the oh, 90s, um, a shrink I was seeing taught me how to relax because it's more important for me to relax than it is to sleep. I don't know if that's with everybody, but for me, that's what it was. Okay. So what he taught me to do is as I'm laying there, I picture my body and I just picture my feet floating up. This is all just in my head. Then the rest of my body just slowly comes up as well. And it feels like that's actually happening. Wow. And what it is, it's just my brain relaxing and I just concentrate on my breathing and my brain relaxes and my body floats up. And as my body floats up, I just fall asleep and I can do it within minutes now. And when you first told me that, I thought it was a really cool tip and trick. I've actually tried it at my house. It's applicable to those that are dealing with any kind of anxiety or right. any kind of stress. Uh, my wife is a chronic overworker, mm-hmm. overachiever. She can't relax at the end of the night. Right. So I shared with her your tip that you shared with me. <laughs> um, I tend to go through my to-do list at the end of the day, yeah. and I think I didn't get enough done. I'm no, trying to that. employ this. Yeah. Um, this is helpful. Just the just the just the act of imagining ourselves floating and yeah. bringing my head up, and then my feet up, and then hovering over my chair. Just the act of doing that is helpful for those, whether it's PTS, whether it's yeah. general anxiety, um, or you're a too type A of a personality right. to you know, let yourself relax and go to sleep. The same psychologist told me that therapy is like a tool bench. It's their job to bring you up to the tool bench, but it's our job to pick up the tools and play with them until we find one that works. And that's all it is. And as a family member that is trying to get help for somebody that may be withdrawing and being distant, we, we just got to help convince them to get to the tool shed yep. and go pick out some tools. Pick up some tools of your own to get them to the tool shed. Right on. Right on. I so sincerely appreciate you sharing with me your story, sharing with us your journey. And, um, you know, from the bottom of my heart, Jonathan, this has been one of the most powerful conversations I've had about suicide. And I really think uh, you've really suggested some things here that, that will work. Good. Happy to. So for the next part of this podcast, I wanted to reach out to somebody on the clinical side of how to actually deal with suicide. So I reached out to another friend. Kim Ruwako, and I am Vice President of Prevention and Postvention for the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And it was during our conversation I was reminded that not only does she have a clinical background and understanding psychology... But she's also got a personal connection to suicide. I mean, this is the case of exactly what happened with me and my husband. Yeah, she lost her veteran husband to suicide. So let's rewind a little bit and go back to the beginning of our conversation. It's great to talk to you again, Kim. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Really, really good. And today we are tackling suicide and trying to bring out of the darkness and bring into the light 
things people need to know about it. But rather yeah. than just getting into a litany of resources and websites and phone numbers and just mind-numbing amounts of information, I want to come at this real. I want to come at this from a first-person kind of perspective. And I've kept up with you, and I know enough about your stance on some things to know that before we even talk about resources... What we have to acknowledge is that community awareness about suicide prevention is not just doing push-ups or just sharing some kind of graphic on Facebook. I know you're passionate about this. Talk to me. Okay, yeah. So, you know, I think there's so many people who want to make a difference in this space, right? We all care about our veterans. We all care about our service members and their families. And we want to make a difference. And so a lot of campaigns, a lot of pushes happen to kind of raise awareness about veteran suicide. Um, But we have to be really careful about how we do that. You know, a lot of these campaigns around uh, the number 22, while it did raise awareness that we have a lot of veterans in crisis and who um, need help, it also created kind of a feeling of hopelessness among our veterans. And that really goes against what anybody wants to happen. Um, We had a really good example of that at TAPS, where we had a veteran die by suicide who left a suicide note that actually said, I'm going to be one of the 22 today. There is no hope. So having campaigns that focus just on the numbers and just on the negative um, outcomes of of this challenge um, can breed um, hopelessness and helplessness in the very population we're trying to serve. So when we're doing campaigns, we've got to remember to always have a hopeful message, a message about the fact that treatment's available and that it works. And we also have to give some resources, right? Like where do they go whenever they are suffering? Um, And so I, I really encourage people if they're going to use social media, they're going to do campaigns. Let's focus on something hopeful. Let's include resources. Let's let's get the information to the veterans about where they can get help, not just about the problem that that is among among that population. Mm. What a what a tragic unintended consequence that yes. is, and that's why I'm glad to have you. Uh, because I know Tragedy <laughs> Assistance Program for Survivors does so many things, uh, both for those KIA, which is what it's probably best known for, you know, helping families mm-hmm. recover and grieve and cope with uh, the loss of a loved one due to war and military service. But with suicide prevention and postvention, I know that yeah. you do wonderful things each and every day. So what's something I need to know if my loved one is experiencing some depression is is basically just not handling transition well or i can begin to see some signs that they're mm-hmm. you know that they need some help they're withdrawing a little bit how do i help mm-hmm. them yeah so you know this is a really common struggle for military families and and friends of veterans right because um military families veteran service members are taught to suck it up to push through, to um, be strong, to overcome, to carry around physical and emotional pain. But what we're not taught, what we don't understand in the culture, is that untreated mental health problems can be deadly. I mean, this is the case of exactly what happened with me and my husband. Um, Even though I was a clinical social worker, I saw his depression, I saw his post-traumatic stress and his other challenges that he was struggling with, and and part of me really thought that he could push through that, that he would be able to get to the other side of it without getting help, because he was so resistant to getting help. And what I didn't realize, what he didn't realize, was that all of his worst fears were going to come true because he eventually that mental health was going to catch up to him. 
Um, and if we would have gotten help way when he first started having struggles, when he first started having sleeplessness, when he started being, having angry outbursts and being agitated, that we could have gotten help and gotten better, and it, it wouldn't have had to negatively impact everything in his life, his, his work, his relationship, his, you know, every, everything that he was doing. So for families, you know, you need to ask the right questions, number one. And there's lots of ways to do that. Um, in, in my husband's case, uh, because I was a clinical social worker, I asked him directly if he was thinking about suicide, if he was thinking about killing himself. And his initial answer to me was, I would never do that to you and the boys who were eight and 10 at the time. Um, and I took that answer and I, I, I didn't want to ask another question because I thought, okay, I got the answer I wanted. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to ask more questions. But what I really needed to do was ask follow-up questions because what we know from our survivors of military suicide is many people, their first response is, I would never do that. I'm not thinking of it because they want to stop that conversation. But there's lots of tools to ask additional questions and get the true answer. There's the Columbia scale, which is one of my favorite. It's just six easy questions. You can Google it, Columbia Scale. It'll give you the, the six questions to ask, which I wish I had when I was talking to my husband and I knew he was suffering. If I would have asked additional questions, like, have you ever thought about suicide? Do you ever think about not waking up? Do you ever um, wish that your pain would end? So those kinds of um, probing questions might have gotten me the information um, that I needed to know that he really needed emergency care. Um, the second lesson that was huge was you never leave somebody alone. Um, even if they're saying they're not suicidal, if your instincts are telling you that they are and they're in danger or you're concerned about, about their safety when it comes to their mental health, don't leave them alone. Stay with them until they're connected with somebody who really can make sure they're safe. Um, or take them to the emergency room, call, call the National Veterans Crisis Line or call their doctor. But don't leave them alone when they're like this. I mean, so those are the two huge lessons. Um, and the third one is, you know, since my husband's death, um, I learned that many of his colleagues who he thought were, were not suffering were suffering. Um, and then if you talk to your peers, you may find out that they have similar struggles, that they've been through similar things, and that you're both kind of struggling with the same um, mental health challenges. And together, um, seeking help, supporting each other, and getting that help, talking to each other about the journey may be the first step in really healing. Um, and lastly, that, that mental health works, that there's really good treatments out there. Mental health treatment works, that there's lots of good evidence-based treatments for some of the things we're seeing in our veterans, PTSD, moral injuries, uh, depression, and other addiction, other issues that we're seeing. There's really good treatment out there, and you can get better and, and um, keep your families, keep your careers, keep your health mentally and physically. So there's a lot of hope out there is the, is the biggest lesson. You know, if I've never told you before, I'll tell you again, but I think I have told you before. I love you for 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 everything that you are. Uh, you're, yeah, you. you're you are a first person survivor, but you're also a clinician and you yeah. understand this in medical terms, but you understand it in real human compassionate mm -hmm. terms. Yeah. And when you say that there is help that does work, I love it because as a clinician you've seen there's a positive outcome from therapy and like tools yeah. on a table you can pick the one that works for you and use it and eventually you'll get past this issue and you'll have a way to cope you'll have a way to go forward in life with yeah. a meaningful healthy 
significant, substantial existence. And you just got to find yes. the, the mental health tool that works for you. Yes, and I've seen so many veterans um, get the help they need, get the tools they need to deal with it there, and then use what they've been through to help others. So the next step after getting help is is using what you've been through to help others. So making me- new meaning out of your life, a new purpose going forward. And it, it's so doable, and there's so many examples of that in our communities through, through um, you know, Team Red, White, and Blue and Team Rubicon and, and so many other um, veteran organizations that are popping up and are leading the way in peer support and, and making change across the country. So there's, there's so much ahead to hold on for and to participate on. You just have to get the help you need and get back out there and really do some good things. Mm, very cool. Share with me real quick how I can be involved with TAPS, where I can find yeah. you, and uh, let's share two things. Uh, for those that feel maybe they could be before a crisis, um, yep. What resources do you have to help them stave off a crisis? And then yep. for those programs, maybe after crisis, uh, you know, how do we find and reach you for those purposes? As yes. Well? So there's there's so many local and national resources out there. But I, some of my favorites are Vets, Vets for Warriors. They have a uh, national uh, phone number that's 24-7. It's peer-based. So they are peer-based, and they have connections to resources across the country. Um, and when you say peer-based, talk so, to me about peer-based. So peer-based means that they have, they have veterans from all branches of service, all different wars who answer their phones, who are trained in meeting that that fellow veteran where they are or fellow service member or military family member where they are figuring out what their issues and challenges are and connecting them with the right kind of care that they need. Um, it's an amazing program. The people get it when you call there. You don't have to push a bunch of numbers or a bunch of selections to talk to somebody. They answer the phone. They're there for you. They follow up and they connect you with local resources. Um, there's also locally across the country an organization called Give an Hour. Um, they provide free um, counseling for for veterans and service members in communities. Um, they and they are they are a good start for mental health. Um, there are local vet centers and VAs. We get a lot of. Um, you know, bad press around VAs, but I actually know a lot of veterans who have gone through the VA and and gotten really good care and really good treatment. And I think under this administration, there's a lot of changes in what they're doing with the VA. So don't write it off as a resource, please. Check out your local VA. Get to know your veterans in your community who have used it and find out how to navigate it um, and use it. Um, of course, there's the National Veterans Crisis Line. If you are in crisis or you're with somebody who's in crisis, please call that. They know how to connect you with local resources. They know how to to figure out, you know, whether you're at risk right now and need imminent care or whether whether you can um, wait to be connected with other resources. Um, and then I would suggest, like, after um, you do get help and you start to get on your way, is, is really connecting with some of these peer, peer programs across the country for veterans, like, like the Team Rubicons and the Red, White, and Blues and Stop Soldier Suicide and, and other programs that are across the country that connect you with peers, um, with your fellow veterans. And so you, you can find some, some, some purpose again and some connection again and not feel like you're so alone out there in the, in the community because there's, there's lots of them doing really great things and are bonding together in new ways than they did in combat, but in uh, creating a new, a new set of brotherhood, a new tribe that they can feel connected to and find new purpose in their lives.
little bit later in this podcast, we're actually going to talk to Sean from Stop Soldier Suicide, and he's going to explain a little bit about what that organization does. I'm glad that you bring that up. Is it really important to just join a new group and get a new cause? And whether your new group is you find a group of guys in your area, in your county that are vets that like to ride Harleys, or maybe mm-hmm, you find right. a group that likes to, you know, do charity stuff, or maybe you just find mm-hmm. a group of guys that likes to, you know, grab a couple cold ones and go fly fishing. Uh, right. are, are these the kinds of group things you're talking about? Yes, because for our, for our veterans, you know, they're team players. They've they've been to to um, to many of them to combat many of them in just training for in their military life that that their peer groups their tribe the people they feel they belong to that they connect with are a really important part of their identity and their purpose in life so that's part of the reason they have trouble transitioning to civilian world is they get into the you know into a, a town or a community that that's not familiar and they feel like they don't fit in like where do I fit in where's the brotherhood or the sisterhood that I had built up in my military life. And so that's sometimes the way that they start to struggle. And so finding your tribe, recreating that, finding a new purpose, a new identity related to that is a really critical part of transition, but really a, a critical part in maintaining their mental health. Um, and, and these peer groups can also be a good bridge to other kinds of care, whether it be mental health or physical health, um, because of many of those veterans that are in those peer groups have been walked that walk, have yeah, walked sure. that journey. And there's nothing better than another veteran to say, you know what, I did that, I got better, um, I liked this therapist, I liked that treatment, I do, I, it worked for me to a vet um, for them to go get care is, is the stamp of approval from a fellow, fellow veteran. Oh, that's awesome. And I can hear two vets now saying, oh, yeah, that Kim at TAPS. Talk to her because she knows her crap and she really got my headspace yeah. figured out. Uh, yeah, yeah they've, they've become my battle buddies of, of a different kind of battle, I think. And so I, I so value uh, my friendships with, with the veteran community and, um, and so admire the ones who, who really go um, full in to try to commit to get to be the best they can be, to find tools to be healthy and strong, because I just wish that would have happened for my husband, you know? That's the biggest regret, is that he didn't, he didn't have the strength to say, I'm not okay, and let's get this fixed, and I can get to the other side of it. Mm. But what I love about your story is from the ashes rises this cause, this mission, and this yeah. purpose that you're on, and you're an angel for a hell of a lot of people out there. Kim Rocca oh, with you. TAPS. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, our next guest is on the front lines of the fight against suicide. My name is Sean Jones, and I'm the interim executive director for Stop Soldier Suicide. Now, what I loved about the conversation with Sean and the Stop Soldier Suicide organization is he gives hope. He gives real solid examples of how this organization and what they're doing is literally going to help people before they get in crisis, that they can get out of the crisis situation, that they can avoid suicide. But first, let's go to the beginning of the conversation and hear about what StopSoldierSuicide.org is. Okay, so uh, in a nutshell, what we want to do, we want to provide resources. And we provide those resources to uh, past and present military members and their families. Um, we, we really don't care about character or discharge. We don't care what branch. We don't care what rank. Um, all that's immaterial to us. Um, and we really want to focus on the family aspect, too, uh, just not, you know, the veterans or active duty members, because, you know, our families are such 
such a backbone for each one of us, you know, when we move forward. Um, you know, I have uh, a wife and five kids and myself, and if it, if it wasn't for them, I, I would have never uh, probably accomplished a quarter of what, what I did while I was in the service or even, for that matter, stayed in that long. Um, but, you know, with the resources, uh, you know, we, we try to provide any type of resource that an individual may need. Um, it can range from some sort of therapeutic modality to uh, emergency financial assistance, uh, housing issues, um, you know, you name it, we, we try to find the resources. Um, with that, you know, being a resource center, resource centers are kind of like a dime a dozen. You know, each state has their own two one ones. You know, there, there's a lot of folks out there to provide resources. But what sets us apart from uh, other, especially other military organizations, we provide two years of case management after we provide resources. So over a two-year period, a person will hear from us no less than 10 times over that time frame. Um, you know, we, we do, we do this for a couple of reasons. One, just check in on everyone, uh, make sure they're doing okay. If not, you know, what can we do to help facilitate them, uh, so they can, you know, get that, get that empowerment piece back, um, you know, achieve their goals and have hope and prosperity, uh, as they move forward. Um, other reasons is we understand that, you know, the military as a whole is a family. It's a very close-knit family. And uh, as we transition out, um, sometimes we find ourselves, we kind of feel like we're on an island. Um, we may not have those tight connections like we did before uh, as when we were in. So we, we want to bring everybody into our family um, and, you know, just play a part. Um, we know that as an organization that uh, we can't fix anything or everything and, we're, you know, we don't try to. We know it's going to take, you know, a community effort, you know, other nonprofits, for-profits and government agencies to, to lessen the numbers of suicide across the military. All right. I liked what I heard with Resource Center and how you said some of them are a dime a dozen. You guys seem to have a very broad ranging kind of list of resources that veterans can take advantage of. I want to ask you first about the psychological resources. And I see here you got your bachelor's in psychology, uh, master's in social work. So as you staff up your team, you get it from a clinical sense what people going through some stuff need. What's it go like when I call Stop Soldier Suicide and I'm having some problems? Mm-hmm. And on my, you know, my headspace just ain't right. Right. Bam. What happens? So, uh, you know, when someone calls in uh, and we start to talk to them, first thing we do is try to build that rapport. Um, you know, we have people in the center. Uh, quite a few of us have uh, some sort of military experience or they've been uh, military spouses or, you know, military dependents. So we, you know, depend on who the person is. You know, they have a unique, unique aspect and an outlook on the way the military life is. Um, but, you know, once someone calls, uh, we, we do a needs assessment, um, you know, kind of talk with them, uh, figure out what, what they're looking for. Um, you know, if they're looking for uh, uh, employment opportunities, you know, we we, we try to take that in effect. We also look, try to look at, you know, secondary, uh, you know, resources that may, may also be important as well to get them to their main goal. Um, you know, we, we talk with them, try to figure out kind of what works best for them and, you know, what they have their heart set on. And, and that's when we kind of go out. Um, we have a robust uh, uh, database of resources, um, right? Currently, I think we have about 3,500 resources in our database. 
Um, sounds like a lot, but, uh, you know, with uh, with us having a national focus, 3,500 across the country is really a, a drop in the bucket. So, you know, sometimes we have to get in and, uh, you know, do the research on the Internet, um, you know, for, for other things such as that. Um, but, you know, with that, like I said, we talk with them, we, we do a needs assessment, uh, we do the research to find the, uh, the resources needed, and then we, we send them out to the individuals. Um, you know, whether we do it, we usually do it by email, and also uh, we can do it through text any way they need it, we, we can get it to them. Um, we try to give them a couple days uh, to get in contact with those resources. Um, we, we do a quick, quite a few quick follow-ups in the first couple weeks precede, or proceeding uh, once we give them the resources and just really try to keep in touch. Um, like I said, a lot of times, you know, people call in to us and they don't need a whole bunch of resources. They just want someone to talk to, um, you know, just uh, whether it's venting about an issue or just, you know, maybe just, like I said, trying to just get stuff off their chest where they feel a little bit lighter. And that's what we're here for. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not scripted. Um, you know, we're just down-to-earth folks uh, that really want to work with, you know, like-minded individuals. And, and we, we love the military community. You know, like I said, some of us, that's all we know is the military community. Um, that's kind of how I found myself back into it. I, I miss I miss the soldiers. I don't miss getting up at, you know, at the crack of dawn. Right, um, right, so, you right. know, if I can if I can get some of, you know, some of my fill by working with the families and soldiers and, and veterans, that, that works for me. So, and plus I can wear what I want. I don't have to worry about a single uniform. Um, but, uh, you, you know, we, I guess what really when the people call us, we want to make sure that, you know, they understand they are our family. It always comes back to family and, and working together. Um, like I said, it, the military community is a very unique community. Um, you know, we, we do uh, experience quite a few things that civilians do, but we also have our neat, unique outlier, outliers as well, you know, with deployments and trainings and frequent moves and, you know, school changes, uh, you, you know, even from just making rank to to, you know, spouses, spouses needing jobs and, and right. always have to pick up a move. So, like I said, the great thing is that we try to tailor everything we do to the specific individual that called us. Um, so we don't put you in a box with everybody else. You, you, you are an individual and we retreat you as such. Now, that's awesome. And I think that that speaks to why you guys or how you guys are doing things differently. But the term resources and tools, I mean, it can still kind of sound dry. It can still kind of sound like blah, blah, blah. Just words that don't mean anything specifically. So let's paint a picture here and you share with me what you guys would do in this situation. Let's say I get out. Let's say I'm having some problems with my job or I'm having some income problems or I'm having my wife's having problems getting job and we're not getting along. And is it fixing those triggers that you guys are really focused on? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, especially if you pair it with, you know, say depression, anxiety, uh, traumatic brain injuries to, to post-traumatic stress. I mean, you know, that with with those things involved, and you know, then you talk about your, you know, your daily living skills. I mean, that that can put a lot of stress on folks, a lot of stress. I try to think of it in real colorful terms so I can get the people listening to this podcast to understand that your organization gets them. And yeah. I imagine a scenario in my mind, like the veteran who's been out for a year and he's stuck in traffic and his boss is kind of a jerk and he realizes he doesn't have good insurance and it's costing him too much. And then somebody cuts him off or, you know, mm -hmm. some kind of an emotional moment happens during the day. 
And what would just normally be like a moment where I just want to say, damn it, that can be a trigger for something even more powerful and more overwhelming for a veteran who has seen some right? Yeah, yeah, it, it very well could be. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, you look at you look at people that uh, you know may have have tried to attempt to take their life. Um, you know, they they could have been dealing with a certain situation over time with no no problem. You, you know, we'll, and we'll just use uh, I don't know uh, car issues, N- not really affecting them at all. You know, over over the last ten eleven years, and then just today, you know, they have some car issues, but a couple of things compounded on that. And it changes their aspect and the way they actually look at their car. So you, you know, we like I said, our our whole being, man, is is to let people know that we're here. You're, you're not by yourself. You, you know, we we, we want to help any way that we can. Um, you know, the the whole thing is you just got to let us in. You can, you can't block us out. You have to let us in and, and give us that opportunity. Um, you know, like I said, we get it here. Uh, I'm retired from from the military. Uh, you know, like I said, we have a former spouse that works here. We have you know uh, military brats that work here. Um, we have veterans that work here, and the, that were in the guard and reserve and active duty. So to to say that we get it, no, we 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 truly get it. We get it from different aspects, and you know we we want to we want to help you with your story and with your journey is, is the key thing. You understand that that car issue might lead to a problem with employment, might lead to a problem with getting to your kids on time, might lead to a problem with the feeling like a decent father or parent because you can you can provide a ride for them to and from school. You guys aren't afraid to roll up your sleeves and say, all right, let's try to help you get a car or let's yeah, we'll, yeah. let's find what resources we can in your backyard to get you a ride that works or get your car fixed. That's the kind of details you guys are willing to deal with. Yes, I mean you know we've had we've had uh, requests, and this is just one example. We had a uh, young man out of Tennessee uh, who was uh, living in a fifth wheel camper. Um, it was uh, just overran with mold. Um, he was able to get into some uh, inpatient treatment at the VA in Tennessee, and uh, we we were able to find some resources to go in and and clean out the camper of the mold. Um, he had to do a little bit of work on the tail end, you, you know. Right. Um, to, to to get it where it was back to before, but I mean it was it was habitable then. Um, you know, we've had some we've had different requests, and we try to fulfill those requests any way we can. I guess uh, what I can say is that we we can't promise you that we'll find the right resource that works for you at all times. Um, there there are some difficult ones, but we will give a hundred percent in finding those resources. And we do find the resources quite often, uh, a lot more than if we didn't. So uh, that that number is pretty minuscule. Mm. And on top of it all, you can expect to call back not just once, not just twice, but several times to check back yes. on on your client, to check back on the brother or sister you're helping. Yes. And, and even in that, um, it's it's – individual individually based on how often we call um you know some people enjoy you know us calling and checking in on them so you know if they want us to call a little bit more frequently than than what we generally do we we do that um it was want to make sure everybody's doing okay and they're in the right you know in a good space for themselves and, and can like i said can actually experience and, and enjoy their lives like like they like they deserve i mean you know right now we look at the military and I mean, the numbers are, you know, less than 1% of the population serve. Mm-hmm. And that that's very small for a country this large. 
So, you know, I, I feel that, uh, you know, veterans, veterans need the attention that they deserve. I mean, they're willing to go out and put everything on the line and, and we need to be willing to do the same for them. Now, as a veteran myself, what's one way I can serve you? Uh, what can right. I do to help stop soldier suicide? Can I answer phones? Can I give you something? What can I do? Well, you know, the easiest thing for everyone to do right now is to join our community, and you can do that on Facebook. Um, you know, you, you, you type in uh, Stop Soldier Suicide, we'll come up. First off, you know, become one of our friends. Be part of our community. Um, we're sitting at about 263,000 people uh, on, our, on our page now, and we'd love to have more. Um, you, you know, we, we, we're a, a donation-based organization. Um, you know, if you'd like to uh, try to host an event, um, we're not opposed to that. Um, you know, we also have uh, great support on Facebook through the fundraising aspects on that, um, whether it's, you know, for your birthday or an anniversary. Um, we had a young man uh, raise $4,000 for his bar mitzvah. Um, in New York. So, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's the power of our community. So first off, like I said, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. And then, you know, if you have any other thing or any other ideas you'd like, you know, you can call, uh, call us at 844-889-5610. And that's 844-889-5610. And we can surely discuss it. Um, whatever your interests are, um, you know, everyone's different. Um, we want to try to get as many people in the fight as we possibly can. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's part of just being the family. Just by joining you socially, just by reaching out to the case managers that are full time working in your office, I can become a resource or a tool that you could use in whatever state I live in. Yes. I mean, if you, if you have, uh, you know, say you're a provider, uh, you know, whether it's a mental health provider, a medical provider, if you have some sort of innate skill uh, or, you know, like I said, if you're if, if you run a, you know, a, a shop, you know, for, for cars, mechanic or, you know, you work for someone that does, you know, if, if you're interested in helping the military community, please contact us. We can we will fit you in someplace. Um, you know, we like I said, I, I, I we can never have too many people to help uh, in this instance. Because I think about the scope and the scale of what you guys are building here, and you are totally right. I mean, if millions of people joined your organizations and just said, I run a bakery, I run a mechanic shop, I got this store in my hometown in XYZ state in America, eventually you'd have contacts in all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And no matter what the veteran came to you with the situation, you'd say, oh, you live in, you know, um, West Overshoe, Kentucky. All right. Well, hey, guess what? We know somebody not too far from there that's got this thing and they could share right. it with you. And suddenly the resources of what is just a Rolodex or a database full of thousands of names becomes an actionable, an actionable source of people that can get their hands on you and make a difference. Yes. And like I said, for us, you know, and to lower these numbers for suicide in the military community, it's going to take the communities that we live in. And, and that's that's what we're looking at. I mean, like I said, it's 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 really one fight, one fight. And the more we can bridge that gap between, you know, our veterans and our and our military to those in, in the community, then, then we're, we're doing really good. Uh, you know, we there's so much patriotism, so much humanity that we don't see every day, um, you know, just due to all the negativity that, that's always around us. But, you know, you know the, uh, America's alive and kicking, you, you know, and like I say, especially in our communities. 
So we, we do. We It goes back, like I said, sticking together and being family. Total community. And that seems like a good spot to pause right there. Not that this conversation will ever be over. But I think if we acknowledge that it's going to take our family, it's going to take the community, it's going to take everyone involved to help lower veteran suicide. But that, like Sean said, if we do take the community approach, we share our resources and make people know that there's hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel, then we're well on our way. Now, it's a podcast. We don't expect you to be taking notes or writing down all these names, websites, phone numbers. So if you want to begin looking at some resources that you can use, you can remember StopSoldierSuicide.org. You can remember Taps.org. And you can go to ConnectingVets.com and the Get Help section. And there are tons of, tons of places eager and willing to help. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of Deal With It on ConnectingVets.com. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.